Coming up this evening, live from New York City. The legal battle to force Elon Musk to buy Twitter begins. Lawyers face off in court for the first time, so who won round one? Amazon is suing over 10,000 Facebook groups for coordinating fake reviews in exchange for money and goods. Tesla facing more competition. General Motors reveals its latest electric car and expects to outsell Tesla in the coming years. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here for NTD Business. In a victory for Twitter, a judge ordered an October trial for its lawsuit against billionaire Elon Musk. Lawyers for both parties squared off in court for the first time today. Twitter, of course, suing Musk to force him to complete his $44 billion deal to buy the platform. Musk backed out, saying Twitter didn't give adequate information on how many fake accounts are on the platform. Today's hearing, pretty simple, focused only on how soon the case will go to trial. Twitter wants it to happen ASAP. It asked for a four-day trial as early as September. Musk's legal team opposed that, asking for a February 2023 date. The judge sided with Twitter and ordered a five-day trial in October. More than 100 million people are under heat alerts across about 20 U.S. states. You feeling warm? The worst of the heat today will be over the plains, lower Mississippi, into much of Texas, where heat warnings are in effect. Look after yourself. Dallas and Oklahoma City could hit 110 degrees. By Wednesday, the Northeast will be feeling it, with heat advisories in New York, Philadelphia, and Boston, where highs are expected to be in the 90s. And the hot temps expected to stick around into the weekend and into next week. About 265 million Americans will see highs above 90 degrees, another 60 million seeing temps of at least 100. The heat, even more intense across Europe, where some areas have hit all-time records. Now look after yourself if you're working outside. A ring doorbell camera caught a UPS driver in distress in Scottsdale, Arizona. Brian Enriquez says he was concerned after watching this video of one delivery man collapsing at his door while delivering an envelope. He eventually rings the doorbell, slowly walks away. It was a scorching 108 degrees in Scottsdale when the incident occurred. Enriquez says he couldn't get to the driver couldn't get to the door in time and the delivery man was gone by the time he saw the video. He did call the police and tried to contact UPS. The company says the driver was okay, in case you're wondering. Contacted his supervisor for assistance after leaving the property. UPS did say that while frequent stops make aircon ineffective in their trucks, the drivers are trained in how to deal with high temperatures. Poor guy. And federal prosecutors are looking into potential workplace safety hazards at Amazon and possibly fraudulent efforts to hide worker injuries from regulators. U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan has opened a civil investigation focusing on Amazon warehouses. On Monday, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, did some safety inspections at warehouses around New York, Chicago, and Orlando. The U.S. Attorney's Office says one area under investigation is Amazon's required pace of work for warehouse employees. E-commerce giants been under scrutiny by regulators in recent years. Back in 2021, New York's Attorney General filed a lawsuit against Amazon for failing to protect workers during the pandemic.
Amazon's also fighting back in a court of law against fake reviews. They're accusing private Facebook groups of gathering fake review posters for profit. Dishon Marshall is more. Amazon is suing more than 10,000 group admins or group leaders for allegedly coordinating people to post fake reviews in exchange for cash and goods. That's how many groups Amazon has reported to Facebook since 2020. It's unclear who's in charge of the Facebook groups. Amazon said it filed a lawsuit in order to learn their identities, shut down the groups, and compel them to return their ill-gotten gains from brokering fake reviews. According to the complaint, posters will often try to evade detection by Facebook's moderators by concealing the phrase refund after review and instead typing our fund after our view. Amazon strictly prohibits fake reviews and has more than 12,000 employees around the world dedicated to protecting its stores from fraud and abuse, including fake reviews. If you're ever nervous about buying on Amazon, there are apps that help spot fake reviews. Sean Marshall, NTD News. A lot happening in the courts today. Apple has agreed to pay $50 million to settle a class action lawsuit. Customers claim that MacBook, MacBook Air and MacBook Pro keyboards suffered from sticky and unresponsive keys. They also said that tiny amounts of dust and debris could make it difficult to type. The settlement covers customers who bought MacBook, MacBook Air and MacBook Pro models between 2015 and 2019. That was in California, Florida, Illinois, Michigan, New, New Jersey, New York, and Washington. Apple denied wrongdoing in agreeing to the settlement. Lawyers for the customers expect maximum payouts of $395 to people who replace multiple keyboards, $125 to people who replace one keyboard, and $50 to people who replaced key caps. Customers also remain eligible for four years of free keyboard repairs following their purchases. And Elon Musk looking in his rear, mu rear view mirror, maybe. Tesla getting more and more competition. GM just announced that an all-electric version of the Chevrolet Blazer, Chevrolet's marketing director says at first only wealthier people could afford electric vehicles, but Chevy's trying to help change that. The intention and where we're pricing this product is to certainly make it more available for more mainstream buyers. We fully expect that this product will bring new customers into not just electrified vehicles, but the Chevrolet franchise. Here's an ad for the car which Chevrolet posted on its YouTube page. It goes up to 320 miles per charge and just to note, Tesla's cars, according to its website, can go from 330 to 396 miles per charge. One up for Elon. The electric Blazer starts at $48,000, while the Tesla prices range from $39,000 for the Model 3 to $130,000 for the Model X Plaid. It hits the market next year in 2023. As part of GM's hopes to surpass Tesla in American electric vehicle sales by 2025. Not long to go. And this is happening as major countries worldwide want to ban gas-powered cars and replace them with all-electric vehicles in the near future. This, though, may lead to some serious problems, one of them being electric cars still pollute the environment. Diddy's Claude Fredrickson has more. 
countries all around the world have come up with plans to get rid of internal combustion engine vehicles and replace them with zero-emission vehicles. Norway wants all vehicles to be zero-emission by 2025, the most ambitious of all. Denmark, Iceland, Ireland, Israel, the Netherlands, and Sweden want 100% zero-electric vehicles by 2030. China and Japan want all their cars to be fully electric by 2035. And France, Portugal, and Spain want all cars to be zero-emission vehicles by 2040. But electric vehicles still pollute the environment. Even though they themselves don't directly emit CO2, charging them requires electricity. Most electricity in the U.S. comes from fossil fuels. One study from the National Bureau of Economic Research found that EVs could actually be worse for the environment because of this. Another study found that charging vehicles at night could increase carbon emissions by 23 to 27 percent. And another problem is making the lithium-ion batteries that power electric vehicles. Who makes all the supplies? for the batteries, so that would be China. Lauren Fix is an automotive expert at Car Coach Reports. Fix says China dominates the global production of lithium-ion batteries and their forerunner materials, and more. It has to come down to components and parts and batteries. And if China's controlling the bulk of the supply issue as well as the microchips, they can supply and make the winners and the losers in this industry. While China only has the fourth largest lithium reserves in the world, it's invested heavily to dominate every step, from getting it out of the mine to putting it into the car. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. If you're going to stick with your gas car, there's some good news for your wallet. The price at the pump is coming down. The White House and some analysts say we could see average U.S. gas prices drop below $4 per gallon in the coming weeks. Are you excited? The news Jessica Beatty has more. The White House Monday touted a 34-day drop in gas prices nationwide, calling it one of the fastest declines in fuel prices in a decade. White House economic adviser Jared Bernstein says he expects prices to keep dropping. We think it's reasonable to expect more gas stations to lower their prices in response to lower input costs and thus, barring unforeseen market disruptions, to see average prices fall below $4 per gallon in more places in coming weeks. According to AAA, the average price for a gallon of regular has dropped 48 cents from a month ago. And GasBuddy says regular gas costs less than $4 a gallon at nearly one in five gas stations. Most of the cheaper gas is in the southeast in Texas. The White House took some credit for declining prices. A reporter asked if they're trying to have it both ways, saying when prices go up, it has nothing to do with the president. And when prices go down, they give him credit. Yeah, I very much disagree with that framing. I think what's happening here is a president who is working uh, tirelessly, showing you here today uh, some real results, uh, partially uh, that, uh, that partially derived from concrete efforts he's taken. AAA says the steady decline is due to a much lower global price for oil and lower domestic demand for gas. Despite lower prices for some, as of Tuesday, AAA says the national average is still $4.49 a gallon. That's still much higher than a year ago. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Do you think green policies help protect democracy? Well, that's what a recent article in the World Economics Forum's website argues. In it, economics professor Edward Barbier from Colorado State University compared data from 83 countries. He makes the case that nations that are taking steps towards green energy are largely free and democratic, 
while countries that aren't are typically less free and more autocratic. But Dutch farmers would probably disagree that the green energy transition is linked to freedom. Right now they're protesting their government's plans to reduce nitrogen output to meet the WEF's emission goals. Farmers in some areas would have to kill livestock herds to reduce their nitrogen output by 95%. That of course would hurt their livelihoods to say the least. If farmers don't cooperate, the government could confiscate their farmland, according to USDA report. Farmers and truckers in Netherlands have staged major protests trying to force the government to reverse the mandates. World Economic Forum did add a disclaimer to the article saying that the views are the authors alone. And down at Wall Street today, good news for investors. Markets rallied. More companies report earnings too. The Dow added 754 points, 2 and 4 tenths of a percent. S&P 500 gained 106 points, 2 and 8 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq rose 353 points, 3 and 1 tenth of a percent. Good news for investors, for sure. And oil field services provider Halliburton and toy maker Hasbro both up today after topping estimates. Johnson & Johnson also beat estimates, but trimmed its full-year outlooks. Stock is down 2% today. Netflix rallied after market. It lost fewer subscribers than previously thought, less than 1 million versus the predicted 2 million. Still not great, though, right? And Japan and China reduced their holdings of U.S. Treasuries in May, reaching multi-year lows, according to the U.S. Treasury Department. Japan's holdings fell to the lowest since January 2020. China's holdings dropped below $1 trillion, the lowest since May 2010. It has reduced Treasury holdings for six straight months. Different reasons possibly behind the drop. Some say it's because of the U.S.'s recent sanctions against Russia. By freezing its dollar reserves has discouraged other countries from holding dollar reserves. Others, though, say Japan and China might simply be drawing down their dollar reserves now to pay for imports. Now, wealthy foreign buyers have been known for snatching up U.S. homes, often in all-cash deals. But lately, they've been missing in action. Why? Did Phil Zoe reports. I'm buying this house all cash. That's often what you hear from a rich farm buyer bidding on a U.S. home. But since the pandemic, the share of homes sold to foreigners have hit record lows. The level of um, international demand is nowhere near what it was in the three to four years prior to the pandemic. Foreign buyers purchased just around 100,000 homes in the U.S. from last April to this March. That's an 8% decrease from the year before and a 12-year low, according to the National Association of Realtors. Jonathan Miller is a home appraiser and real estate professor at Columbia University. Uh, what typically drives in an international buyer or investor demand is uh, a currency play where the dollar is weak against other currencies, and so the buyer's outside the U.S. Uh, realize a significant discount. But right now, the U.S. dollar is strong, so foreigners using currencies like the euro are paying a premium and not getting a discount. New York is always a hot spot, and there's always people who are looking to make good investments. Property agent of New York, Lauren Hurwitz, says one of her biggest foreign national buyers is pushing his search to next year. Money's no object and sky is the limit, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's willing to spend whatever he wants. And he's gotten outbid and is now staying in London, where he lives, because um, he's just going to wait and see what the spring market brings. 
Tim Costello is the founder of Builders Digital Experience, based out of Austin, Texas. New homes are such an incredibly uh, good opportunity uh, for international buyers. Costello's company operates a huge property website for buyers of newly built homes. It's an incredibly good opportunity now for foreign buyers to re-enter the market and be able to buy real estate uh, you know, more affordably in a more normalized market. Foreigners' share of overall dollars spent on U.S. properties plummeted to 2.6 percent. The percentage was as high as 10 percent back in 2017. Phil Zoe, NTD News. New U.S. home building activity fell to a nine-month low in June. The number of construction started on new homes fell 2 percent. This is now the lowest level since September 2021, the Commerce Department said Tuesday. This is adding to an increasingly downbeat picture for the housing market. The rise in mortgage rates and aggressive actions by the Federal Reserve have diminished affordability and lowered demand. As a result, inventory has increased, housing deals are falling through, and some sellers are now cutting prices. Good news for buyers. And here to talk with NTD's Don Ma about the housing market is Polina Rishikov. She's the lead economist at Sunday. Sunday is a company that connects homeowners looking to sell their houses. Polina, thanks for coming on. So the number of construction started on new homes dropped to the lowest level since September. I just want to ask you, what's behind this? What's behind this is um, a lot of builders, they're scarred by what's called the recency bias. Um, they are concerned that there won't be enough people to to buy the homes. And um, the recency bias comes, of course, from 2006, 2008, when they overbuilt, which is not the case um, right now because we've actually been underbuilding for the last 10 years. And um, it's not it's not great that um, construction starts are stalling. Is this still a seller's market or a buyer's market? I want to say it's still a seller's market. We still see um, more than one offer on um, houses that are well-priced. The listing to sale ratio is above 100, which indicates that houses are selling for more than, than they are listed on the existing side. Um, we, we're just coming off very, very low inventory levels. Um, so we're, we're, we're still very much in the seller market. I wonder, is it a good time to sell your home right now? I always say that you don't think about your primary residence as an investment, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's always a lifestyle decision. If you're talking about an investment, I would say we're in a very high inflationary environment right now. Um, the dollar is holding up very strong. Uh, the stock market is volatile. The bond market is volatile. I personally think that real assets are the ones that are likely to hold value. But again, it's, it's a very personal decision. Um, if, I would be buying right now, to be honest with you. But it's also if you have enough equity in your house, it so depends on where you are in life. If you're pre-retirement, again, it depends on your risk profile. If you um, if you want to travel or if you're ready to kind of scale back your spending and you just want to retire in peace. And um, yes, yeah, certainly do sell your house, uh, downsize um, and enjoy life. Uh, if you want to raise a family and if you want kind of controlled payment for the next however many years and you don't want to be afraid of your rent go going up for the next five years because we have a shortage of rentals as well, buy a house. Um, so I, I don't think you can time the market perfectly. I think it's everybody's lifestyle decision. I see. Well, thanks, Paulina. Thanks for your advice. Uh, lead economist at Sunday. Thanks for coming on.
Still to come, stay with us. Instant messaging app Snapchat unveiling a new option. Could give Zoom a run for its money. And a company in Japan signals the end of an era, saying it'll stop making matchbooks. Why? That and more coming up on NTD Business. back. Zoom could soon be getting a run for its money from an unlikely competitor, Snapchat. Until now, Snapchat has only been available on mobile devices, but on Monday, the social media platform launched a web-based version of its popular messaging app. The company says it wanted users to have the freedom to switch between their phones and computers while continuing their conversations on the platform. But the web-based option also puts Snapchat in a position to go after some of Zoom's video conferencing market share. Comes amid rising popularity of Snapchat's video calling feature, which lets users start calls with up to 15 participants per session. And here's one. A long-standing Japanese company says is discontinuing the production of traditional matchbooks. Matches were once a popular advertising tool, but disposable lighters are now widespread. Thomas has the details. Hitoshiko speaks of an era when colorful matchbooks served as fashionable yet subtle advertisements, given out for free at bars, restaurants, and hotels. From about the 1970s, the use of lighters became common, and so the match market shrank. And so from the standpoint of advertising, we began to diversify by producing pocket-sized packs of tissues. And these were ordered by the restaurants that we had been providing matches to. That era is long gone, as advertising is now digital. Disposable lighters are now widespread, and the number of smokers has dwindled. The company recently announced it would stop taking orders for matchbooks by the end of June. For us, production dropped drastically because of declining demand. It's regrettable, but we decided to stop production. But so many people voiced disappointment, and so we felt more than ever how matches had been truly an integral part of everyday life. Natosha still makes wooden stick matches that go into boxes. Some are exported to the U.S. Natosha is one of a handful of matchmakers left in Japan and accounts for about 70% of total output according to the company. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And a centuries-old mine recently found in the UK is loaded with untouched 17th-century relics. Experts very excited about it, and now you can also explore it in 3D from anywhere in the world. Let's take a look. A 200-plus-year-old cobalt mine recently discovered in England is a literal treasure trove of historical items from the Napoleonic Wars era left frozen in time. 
Experts described the mine as pristine, saying it had been abandoned in 1810 and had laid untouched not only from human hands, but also sealed off from oxygen, preserving the relics inside, which included mine machinery, clay pipes and bowls, leather shoes, ropes, and more. Those who made the discovery also found dated inscriptions left behind, begging the intriguing question, who was W.S.? The find was so significant that the National Trust, which owns the land, commissioned a full digital mapping of the mine, allowing curious explorers to take a three-dimensional tour of the cavern online from anywhere in the world. If you've got any tips or feedback for this show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. You can still catch NTD evening news, though, with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.